Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Previously, we saw that our God, God that is revealed to us in the Bible, is a God that shows emotion. We are going to go to number nine, but I feel that there are this issue I want to deal with before we move on to number nine. When we come to the scripture, the scripture will have to talk to us about God in a way that we can understand. The Bible will ascribe physical features to God. The Bible will ascribe emotional experience to God, and rightly so, because the Bible is talking in a way that you and I can comprehend, in a way that you and I can relate to. But we must not equate this to the totality of who God is in himself. Our understanding of God is not false, but it is dim. This is very important for us to understand. Yes, our understanding of God is not false. It's not as if God told us something that is not true about himself. But we need to understand that our understanding of God on this side of eternity is quite dim. When a baby asks you or a toddler asks you a question, Maybe mom had just given birth to a little baby and the toddler is asking you, mom or dad, where do baby come from? You don't start by talking to them about my biology or molecular biology or genetics and so on. So you don't. What you do is that you use language of simplicity and the language of decency to talk to that toddler about how babies came to be. You are not lying to the child. But actually, you are talking to the child in a level that the child will understand. And that is the same way when the Bible speaks to us about God. Remember John chapter 1, verse 18, the first part says, No man has seen God at any time. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, the first part says that only God lives forever, and he lives in light that no one can come near. No human has ever seen God or ever can see him. By the way, that is from the contemporary English version. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, the first part says, Now all we can see of God is like a cloudy picture in a mirror. Again, that is from the contemporary English version. And it is very, very important that you and I understand this, that all we can see of God, all we can actually be able to, 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 to receive Okay, what that, that of God that we can understand, okay, that we can endure as it were, is actually like that first Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, is actually a cloudy picture in a mirror. The picture of God that is shown to us in the, in the scripture is not false, but we need to understand that it's a cloudy mirror. We need to understand the fact that no man has seen God at any time, and no man can see God at any time. God dwells in a light that no one can come near. But the Bible has revealed something to us of God, and the God has revealed to us as much of God as you and I need on this side of heaven. You know, this reminds me of Ezekiel end-time prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, he, there he's talking about the war that is going to happen at the end of time, and it clearly tells us in that scripture when this is going to happen. But I'm not really interested in that war. What I want to do is to use it as an explanation of the way that the Bible tells us about the nature of God. So let's read that. We are reading Ezekiel chapter 38, 
And I'm just going to read a couple of verses in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 38. Verse 3, thus said the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O God, the chief prince of Meshech and Tuba. Verse 4, he said, Then I will turn thee back and put hook in thy jaw, and I will bring thee forth all thine army. Notice this. Horses, horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shield, all of them handling sword. And the last part of verse 5 says, all of them with shield and helmet. And when we move forward to chapter 39, verse 9, he said, and they that dwell in the city of Israel shall go forth. This is after this, you know, this big army has been defeated. He said, then Israel will go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons. What are these weapons? Both shields and bucklers and bows and arrows and hand staves and spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. Remember, we are talking about God's revelation for us in the scripture, but I'm using this Ezekiel 38 and 39, this war that Ezekiel clearly tells us that is going to happen in the end. And by the way, this scenario that is actually playing out now in front of everybody all over the world, but here, Ezekiel was talking about this weapon that is going to be used in this end-time war. And he was talking about horses and horsemen and bucklers and shield and sword and helmet and arrow and spears. Now, that is the weapon of war that people were using in the time of Ezekiel to fight. But people don't use those weapons now. But you see, God could not actually talk to Ezekiel and talk about weapons, all sorts of weapons of mass destruction that we now use today. All these weapons that we saw that Ezekiel is actually <laughs> mentioning, they are dated weapons. We don't use those weapons today. Okay. But we need to understand that God was describing something to Ezekiel and his people that was relevant to them. And because of that, God has to use a term that Ezekiel and the people in those days will resonate with. But obviously, this prophecy actually awaits, you know, a fulfillment in the end of time, in where modern, modern weapons are going to be used. But God could not use those terms, could not use terms like, you know, nuclear bomb or missile and all those things. He could not use that because Ezekiel would not have no clue what God was saying. So God used terms that Ezekiel can understand. This is like God using cloudy picture in a mirror. And it is the same thing as we talk about God. Understand that in order to teach us about God, the scripture we use human language, like physical features, like emotional experiences, so that we will be able to wrap our mind, you know, and understand what God is saying about himself. If God used, you know, thoughts, if God used expression and revelation that we cannot, you know, relate to, then we won't understand what God is saying. But we have to be careful that we do not equate this at the totality of who God is himself. God is greater than that which God has already revealed to us, even in the scripture. Understand that. God is greater still. Even that that which is revealed to us. What is revealed to us is not work, it's not wrong. What is revealed to us is not first. I'm talking about revealed to us about God, but we need to understand that God will be using languages that we can relate to. So we are looking at these two things. Before we go to the next features, number nine, I'm looking at these two things that we need to underline as we talk about God's nature 
We've talked about number one. Number two is related to number one. Number two, human language and understanding cannot totally reveal to us who God is in himself. But that is all we have. What we have is human language. What we have is human understanding. That is what we have. And that is what God has used to reveal himself to us. But you and I just need to understand that when we begin to use human languages and human understanding to talk about who God is in himself, it is something that human language will have to struggle with. Okay, we need to understand that, and I'm going to repeat it again. That does not mean that what we know of God is false. No, that, that is not what we are saying. Scripture speaks in our language so that we can understand that which God has revealed of himself. But we must understand that all of God is not, indeed cannot be contained in human languages or human experience. I will say that again. All that God is cannot be contained in human languages and experiences. But God will have to use human language. God will have to use human experiences because that is all we have for God to reveal himself. So God revealed himself in time. God revealed himself in space. But we need to understand that God is above time. God is above space. God is eternal. And we have to hold these two revelations we have to hold them in balance. You know, we need to be careful that we don't make God to be too distant, that he's a stranger and he doesn't have anything to do with the creation. But at the same time, we should not domesticate God and make him too familiar as if he is essentially one of us. Okay? And we have to be very, very careful we hold these truths in balance. God is God. Yes, God has in in, as, as involved himself in time and space, God has come to reveal himself to us. But you and I need to understand that this God that we are talking about is eternal. Our image reflects the image of God, but we need to understand that God's image does not reflect our image. And that when scripture talks about God using these physical terms and, you know, natural experiences to describe God, we must understand the way in which the scripture is using it. Human emotion was part of the image of God in man. And it's a tool that God has given us, number one, to be able to come into fellowship, to be able to have communion with him, and number two, for us to be able to rule and reign as king on earth. And I'm going to read Mark chapter 12 in a second. So our emotion is created by God. God created emotion. Emotion is not evil in, its, in itself. Being godly and being holy, being more like God is not the same thing of being, uh, like being emotional. The fact that you, 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 you are a godly, a righteous somebody doesn't mean you don't have emotion. No, no, no. Emotion by itself is not evil. Emotion by itself is created by God. Let's read Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 29 to 31. Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. That when Jesus answered him, the force of all the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is the first commandment. And the second is like it, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than this. You see, the this is the answer that Jesus gave when one of the, the lawyers came to ask him that 
among the commandments, which one is the greatest? And the Lord Jesus said, look, this is the summary of all the law and all the commandments. And then we can see here where emotion is very important. Say you should love the Lord of your God. And the word love, love, talk about emotion. Say we should love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. So what I'm saying here is that our emotion by itself is created by God. Emotion by itself is not evil. Emotion by itself is a tool that God has given us for fellowship, for communion, and also to be able to fulfill that which God has created us to fulfill. Human emotion is very powerful. Emotion is powerful. Emotion can build. Emotion can destroy. Nation has been built and wrecked by emotion. I mean, we see things happening around us, even in our days. Relationships, life, businesses, and so on has been built and also has been wrecked by emotion. Emotion like passion, emotion like love, emotion like regret, emotion like gratitude, emotion like anger, jealousy, and so on. And we have stories and we have things around us where emotion has either used to build or used to destroy. But like all the features of the image of God in human, indeed our emotion, unfortunately, has been polluted. Unfortunately, emotion has been poisoned. We need to understand that the fall affected each one of these features of the image of God in man. And the devil has used those strong tools that God has given us to work in righteousness. And the devil is using it for evil. Okay. But the solution is not for us to throw emotion out and to kill our emotion and work in this world emotionally. No, 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 no. The solution is to bring our emotion under the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. The solution is to bring our emotion under the control of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, under the control of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, under the control of his blood, under the control of his word. And this is very, very important. As the Holy Spirit corrects and rebukes and cleanses and renews and strengthens and equips, then our emotion can be redeemed and be renewed so that we can walk we can use our emotion in the way that pleases the Lord. We must not allow our ungodly emotion to rule us. We must not. Now, God has not created emotion to be a master. God has not created our emotion to be a leader, but to be a servant. Unfortunately, today we have a whole set of ideologies today that is built around human emotion, saying that if it feels good, then do it. That people will talk about the agenda Okay, here biologically, here genetically, you are this gentle. I don't feel that way. We are coming to a point now where we are making emotion and feeling to be the ruler. Now, that is a, it's a recipe for disaster. God has not created us to be led by the nose, by our emotion. And that is a disaster. Even in the church today, unfortunately, you know, we have a whole lot of theology and a whole lot of Christian practice and Christian worship that is built around sensationalism that is built around people walking up their emotion. Unfortunately, this is a recipe for disaster. Oftentimes, we question and we disobey God because of our emotion. Emotion is good, but our emotion has been contaminated. Our emotion can be redeemed, but we need to understand that our emotion will be redeemed as we bring it under the lordship of Jesus, his spirit, his cross, his blood, his word. We cannot allow our emotion, particularly our 
unregenerated, unredeemed emotion to lead us. God has not created our emotion to lead. I mean, for example, we see the sad case of Saul and also the sad case of the 12 spies that Moses sent to spy out the land of Canaan. Let's read first Samuel. It's looking so much today that I'm actually not going to be able to go into the night um, features. I thought I would be able to round up the emotion and go. So pardon me about that. We are going to go into that the next teaching by the grace of God. Now let's go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 13, and we read verses 8 and 14. This was the story about Saul, the first king of Israel. You know the story? He became king. Samuel anointed him. The, the, the people asked for, for a king. Samuel said no. The people said yes, we need a king. God said give them a king. Saul was, was made a king. And this was when Saul and the people of Israel were facing this war from the Philistines. And they were waiting for Samuel to come, but Samuel was delaying. First Samuel chapter 13 from verse 8 to 14. And he, Saul, tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel has appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he has made an end of the offering, offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the day appointed and that the Philistines gathered against themselves against me as mismatch, therefore I said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal and I have no misopposition unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore, offered a burnt offering. And somebody said unto Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he has commanded thee. For now will the Lord have established that kingdom upon Israel forever, but now that kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord has commanded thee. See, why did Saul do this? Because of his emotion. And he told us why. Okay, he was waiting for Samuel. Samuel didn't come. Then you see, there, like we said the last time, there is a cognitive type part of our emotion. He was looking at the things around him. He said the people were scattered. Samuel has not come. The Philistines were gathered. People were scattered. Philistines were gathered. Samuel has not come. And then he said, I forced myself. His emotion. He was having all sorts of emotional upheaval in him because of the situation around him. And he forced himself to do what he should not have done. And Samuel then came and Samuel told him, you have done very, very foolishly because you have allowed your emotion to actually make you to break God's commandments. And unfortunately, because of that, he lost everything. And aren't we in the same way? Because of the emotion of anger, of regret, of pain, of unforgiveness, one emotion or another that the things around us is stirring up inside of us, many of us will take steps that we then come to regret. And we saw the same thing in the 12 spies that Moses sent to spy out the land of Canaan. I'm not going to read this. But this 10 of these brought evil report. And because of that, they started all sorts of emotion in the heart of the people. Numbers chapter 14 verse, verse 1 says that people lifted up their voice and they cried. And the Bible says they wept all night because of this evil report, because of what they could see. 
And in fact, because of this emotion, they then contemplate to actually kill Moses, stone Moses and Aaron, stone Joshua and, and Caleb, who are trying to tell the people, hey, 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 don't rebel. There is a God factor to this thing. So our emotion is created by God, but it's been tainted, it's been poisoned. No, we are not saying we should throw out the emotion. We are saying that we should anchor our emotion in the purpose and the will of God. You see, emotion is like this ship, great ship on the sea. Okay, when the ship is standing still, they are great, they are powerful. But if you leave the ship on the sea, the ship will drift unless you throw down the anchor. The anchor stabilizes the ship. And our faith anchors our emotion. Our faith based on God's revelation of himself in creation and preeminently in the pages of the Bible and in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ in his work on the cross by the oppression of the Holy Spirit, our faith anchors our emotion. And that is what we read in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 20. The Bible says that by two things, immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who has fled for refuge to lay hope on the to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, which sure and steadfast. The anchor, our safeguard, sure, steadfast, is certain, it is firm, it is stable, it is trustworthy. And when we begin to anchor our faith upon the person and the revelation of Jesus Christ, irrespective of what is going on around us, then our emotion will be anchored, and then we will not be fluttered, we will not be tossed to and fro by our emotion. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, in the contemporary English version, says that faith makes us sure of what we hope for and give us proof of what we cannot see. It was their faith that made our ancestors please God. Our faith anchors our emotion. Our faith in God, our faith in the revelation of who God is, anchors our emotion. And then our emotion that can, can then be used as a tool of righteousness, our passion for that which is good. Okay, and this is very, very important. We need to understand this. Our love, our message, when we anchor our emotion in the revelation of God, then we'll be able to be a salt and a light in the world, a salt of the earth and a light of the world. And if you are listening to me tonight and you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to because there's no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. He's the anchor. Come to him today. Come to him and accept that you are a rebel. Accept your need of a Savior and receive him as your Savior. Invite him into your life. He will come in. He will take the heart of stone out of you, give you the heart of flesh, give you his own spirit and he will walk the rest of your life in this earth with you and when this is all over we will spend eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth we sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on youtube maranatha teaching channel they will bless you thank you